Great. Well, let me add my welcome. Uh, my name is John T. Um, so good to see you. We're going to turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to have a look at um, a passage from Matthew. But just before we um, read it, let me explain um, what I'm hoping we're going to do this afternoon. Um, obviously, the announcement yesterday from Boris Johnson was disappointing and frustrating and confusing and has left loads of us cancelling plans, trying to work out what our plans should be and all those sorts of things. And it struck me as I listened that a lot of what we were being told is what we could not do. That was, that was really the meat of the message. This is what you can no longer do. So I thought what we'd do this afternoon is we'd spend some time thinking about what we can do. So to counteract what Boris Johnson told us yesterday, I want us to listen to God's words. This is what you can do this Christmas. One thing you can do. One thing you can do that is the best thing that you possibly could do this Christmas. And that is that you can come and worship. Come and worship. That is the one thing that Boris Johnson can never stop us from doing. Or any virus. And let me just be very clear. This is not a, a, an attack on Boris Johnson because actually I think his job is impossible. I think the decisions that are trying to be made are impossible decisions. And there are lots of people trying to make what are good and wise decisions. But I want us to turn our attention to God's word. What can we do? We can worship. And we're going to read about some of the very first worshippers that we meet. We're going to read about the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. And I want you to watch out for what we're told about them. And then we're going to think, what would it mean for us to come and worship Jesus this Christmas? What would that look like for us? So Matthew chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. But this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Do you hear what these wise men did? These magi, we have come to worship. That's the thing we can do this Christmas. 
That's the thing that can never be taken away by any virus. That's the thing that matters more than anything else. So we're going to watch how these magi came to worship Jesus so that we might learn from them and follow in their footsteps and worship Jesus. So we're going to work our way through. Now, I've always find the magi slightly um, mysterious. You know, the shepherds, I get them. They're kind of out there, they are, in their fields with their sheep. I kind of understand that. But these magi, I mean, who are they? And where do they come from? All we're told is that they came from the east. <laughs> Did you not hear the kind of, there's a mystery around these guys. So here they are living in the east. And, uh, and somehow they come to worship. I want to show you five things that I think Matthew picks up as he writes this account for us, which I I hope will help us practically to worship Jesus. And the first thing is they start with what they know. They use what they know. So let's, let's just read it again. Have a look. They come to Jerusalem from the east, and they ask, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Isn't that weird? It's like, it's like tantalizing, isn't it? You saw a star. How on earth did... How did you know? Have you got some kind of secret knowledge? Are these guys some kind of astrologers who can read the stars and go, oh, it's the star of a king is born. I'm not sure, actually, that that's what they were doing. It seems far more likely to me, and I think in, in Matthew's whole way that he's been writing the opening of his gospel, he's been saying this happened to fulfill what was spoken. This happened to fulfill what was spoken. God had promised over and over again that a king would be born. And therefore, it seems certain to me that these magi had some of that writing of the Old Testament. They had some of those promises. You might say, well, how did they get hold of those? Well, perhaps it was back in the days of Daniel when God's people were taken out of Israel. We thought about this last week and were taken into exile, taken away from their land. And perhaps it was then that people heard something of this king who was coming. Whatever it was they had, we don't know exactly what it was. It's like, oh, Matthew, could you not have given us a little bit more details? Don't you find that sometimes with the Bible? You're like, oh, a little bit more. But they must have known something because they know about the Jews and they know about a king who's been promised. And when they see this star appear in the sky, they take that as the sign that the king has been born. They've not got a lot to go on, is my point. But they focus on what they do know. Do you know, one of the biggest barriers, I think, to our worship is that we are obsessed with what we don't know. We're far more concerned about all the gaps, all the things we don't know, all the questions, all the confusion, all the stress. We go, oh, I don't, I'm not sure about this God thing. I don't know much. I'm not, you know, some people seem to know so much about the Bible, but I don't know much about the Bible, and I've got all these questions. Well, I want to say to you, why don't you start with what you do know? 
Start with the things you do know. That's where these wise men started. So we do know some things. You know some things about Jesus. You may not know everything, but you do know something. Start there. And we have now got more than the wise men had. We've got a Bible. They probably had some fragments of some Old Testament prophecies. We've got the whole thing. We've got the account of Jesus' life. We can read of him. And as we read, it draws us to worship. But don't let your lack of knowledge prevent you from coming to worship Jesus this afternoon. Come and worship and start with what you know. What do you know about him? So that's where it starts. They start by using what they know. And as they see this star appear in the sky, the next thing that we see is that they drop everything. They drop everything to come and worship. So here they are, living their lives in the east. Presumably they've got lives. You know, I mean, presumably they're doing something. Magi-e. You know, they've got, they've got some reputation. They've probably got some family. They've got a life going on. They've got hopes and dreams and aspirations and all the rest of it. They've got things that they're living for. Suddenly a star appears and they let go of all that to follow the star. They drop everything. And this is where there's a difference between the shepherds and the wise men, right? The shepherds are in a field just outside Bethlehem. So it's not a... I mean, it's not difficult for them to pop down to Bethlehem. Oh, let's go and have a look, shall we? Let's go and see this thing the angels told us about. It only take half an hour. We'll be back to our sheep in half an hour. It's not a big commitment for the shepherds. But the wise men, they live hundreds of miles away. I mean, they live in the east. Who knows how far it is? It's, the east is a long way. And yet these wise men, they see something in this star. They only have a little bit of knowledge, but they say... We should go. We should go and worship. And they drop everything. You see, if they'd wanted to hold on to their lives and their dreams and their ambitions, if they'd wanted to hold on to the things that they were living for, they would never have come to worship. But instead, they let go in order to come and worship. Do you think, do you think it was convenient for them? Do you think it was easy to come and worship? No, it was costly to make that journey. But when we discover Jesus, when we see something of Jesus, we will be willing to drop everything and come and worship. It's one of the ways you can tell, actually, what you're living for, you know? One of the ways you can tell what you worship, what, what is the thing that is most important to you, it's that which you would drop anything else for. What would you drop everything for? Is it the perfect job offer? You say, if I got the perfect job offer, I'd be out of here. I'd, I, I'd drop everything to do this job, to have this opportunity, to be a blue pizza presenter. That was it. Like, genuinely, I still think if I was offered it, I'd struggle not to go for it. <laughs> Although, it is, I was told... You've got to be under 23 to be a blue pizza presenter these days. Oh, I don't know. It's not like it was in my day. 
Anyway. But you know, what would you... We've all got stuff, haven't you? A, a relationship. I'd drop everything if I could just have that relationship. What is it that you worship? What is it you would drop everything to pursue? Well, these wise men, they drop everything in the East to come and worship. And it's not convenient. You see, we, we live at a time where convenience is like so highly priced. We want life to be convenient. We want things to be easy. If it's difficult, it's probably wrong. My life's going wrong, by which you mean my life has got difficult, right? Because difficult equals wrong and easy equals right. Convenience is what we're after. And our lives are more convenient than ever. And as human beings, there's a whole industry inventing things to make your life more convenient. You know, so however many years ago, someone was sitting on the sofa and they were looking at their telly all the way over there, thinking, this is a nightmare. Every time I have to stand up, walk all the way over here to change the channel, and then walk all the way back, there must be a better way of doing this. See, it's ridiculous that we have to live like this. So they invented a remote control. And the first remote control I remember had a great big long wire, genuinely a wire from the video recorder snaking across the floor to my sofa where I sit so smugly, I don't have to walk. And then they made one without a wire because they realized that tripping over the wire was inconvenient. And so there's this obsession for everything to be easier and more convenient. Let's just make it easier. But the problem is, if you want a convenient, easy life, you'll never come to worship. These wise men recognized that there was something in this star, in this king who'd been born, that was worth inconvenience and discomfort. Something that was worth hardship. Something that was worth dropping everything to come. And pursue. I wonder what it is that we might need to drop in order to take hold of Jesus. I wonder what it is in our lives that would hinder us from coming to worship. Perhaps this Christmas is an opportunity for us to explore that in our own hearts. To say, Jesus, what are the things that mean more to me than you? And would you help me to let go of them? Now, just as an aside, that doesn't mean, therefore, that we don't care about anything else. This doesn't mean that if you've got kids, you just go, sorry, kids, I'm dropping you, (laughs) because I've got to go and worship Jesus. Sort yourselves out. No, because as you come to worship Jesus, it will make you a better father, a better mother, a better husband, a better friend, a better worker, a better colleague. But when you hold those things as of first importance, then you'll never come to worship Jesus. You come worship him first. So here they come to worship. They drop everything to worship Jesus on the basis of very, very little. And the third thing we see is that as they do that, they come joyfully. They're joyfully seeking. So they arrive um, in Jerusalem and they get to... Uh, King Herod, and they basically say to King Herod, okay, so where's this king who's been born? Herod's a bit 
upset about that because he's the king. <laughs> slightly, slightly offensive. Um, so he gets all the religious people together and says, where's this king supposed to be born? Is there a king? And they say, yeah, oh yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Micah says that uh, in, in his prophecy. Do you not see this tragedy? Right? They know. You've got these guys who've come from the east, dropped everything on the basis of a tiny little bit of knowledge. You've got the people who actually, we know exactly where he's supposed to be born. And they don't care. There's no joy in them. There's no desire in them. No, they're far too comfortable with their little lives, their little religious lives, where they've set up their little power structures. So off the wise men go in verse 9. Herod's obviously already plotting to kill the baby. We haven't got time to deal with that today. But let's keep focusing on the, the wise men. Verse 9, after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. <laughs> Do you hear the joy in their traveling? Do you, it's always bothered me, this. Has this never bothered you about the star? Have you ever seen, right, have you ever seen a star and thought, oh, that star's over the London Eye? No, because the stars like high in the sky. They're not over anything. What does it mean? How on earth does it directly go to the place where the child was? Well, I think we need to understand. I don't, I don't think Matthew is using star as in the scientific, literal way that we would use star. I think what he means is that there is a bright light that leads the way and guides them. And let's face it, that is not an unusual thing for God to do. God's done that before. If there was a time in the Old Testament when God led his people for 40 years in the desert at night by a pillar of fire. So it seems far more likely to me that this star that they see is a supernatural light that God uses to lead them to Bethlehem so that they might know where the child is. But either way, they're very excited about it. In fact, verse 10 says they were overjoyed. You see, to worship is a joyful thing. If we're not joyful about worship, we're not doing it right. Because worship is joy. In fact, look, Verse 10, it's more than joy. It's overjoy. In fact, in the, in the original, the, the Greek that it was written in, this, this verse is amazingly written. It's like it emphasizes joy four times. So it says it like this, right? It says they were joyful. But it doesn't just say they were joyful. It says they, were, they rejoiced with joy. In fact, it doesn't just say they rejoiced with joy. It says they rejoiced with great joy. And in fact, it doesn't even just say that. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Isn't that a great phrase? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, our English translation here just goes for overjoyed. Which is fine, as long as you understand that that is four times over joy. We've gone four levels beyond joy. 
So if you take joy and quadruple it, that's what we're talking. There is an overjoy, an overflowing, gushing joy. That is what worship, that is what coming to worship Jesus is supposed to be like. And we settle too often for a joylessness. And so I want to challenge you this Christmas. Will you pray for that sort of joy? Would you pray for a quadruple joy this Christmas? For you and for others. That actually our overjoy would be in this child. Particularly this year. When some of the joy things that we normally enjoy at Christmas, we are not going to be able to enjoy. When we miss out on some of the joys that we really love, well, would we pray for an overjoy in Jesus? That we would come and worship him with exceedingly great joy. And that leads to the fourth thing as we come. They come on the basis of little knowledge, but they drop everything with exceeding joy, and they come to bow down. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed. That is a physical act, right? That means they fall on their knees in front of this baby. When did you last bow to anyone? When did you last physically bow to, to someone else? It's interesting, isn't it? I think one of the marks of our culture as it becomes more obsessed and obsessed with self is that we bow less and less to others. In the past, bowing would have been a very common thing. And in cultures today, to bow to someone, to show respect to them, is still a, a common way to greet someone, to show respect and honor to someone. We don't bow to one another in our culture. Because we're like, well, it's me. I don't bow to anyone. I'm the captain of my own fate. I might nod my head at you. But because we don't bow, sometimes that means we lose something of what it means to worship. They came and they bowed to him. Now I guess, you know, if you've been in church a little bit, we do have a we do have a slump, don't we, when we pray? We do occasionally slump before the Lord. You know, we say, should we pray? And we all go, yes, let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. And I think it's good to lower your head. I don't think it's bowing. I don't think it could ever be quite described as bowing before the Lord. So here's my challenge for you this Christmas. Would you take a moment this Christmas, at some point this Christmas, on Christmas Day, to physically bow before Jesus? To bow before him. And to say, I want to worship you, Jesus. 
you are the king, and I want to worship you. I want to lay down my life before you. And my guess is you'll find it quite an uncomfortable thing to do because we're not used to it. But actually, as the wise men came, it was their overflowing joy, their automatic reaction to fall before Jesus and to worship. And then the fifth thing, as they come to worship him, is that they open their treasures to Jesus. So look at verse, nine, uh, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasures. Do you know, we, the trouble is we've got the nativity scene in our heads, right? The school nativity. <laughs> and here come the shepherds with their sheep, and here come the wise men. What are the wise men carrying? Well, one of them's got a little cardboard box that's wrapped up in gold foil, and then one of them gets a letter home saying, your child is bringing myrrh. Could you organize that? And the, mom, the parents are going, I don't know what myrrh is. They're looking it up. They, they bring perhaps a bottle or something that they think might have myrrh. And they each come you know, with their little, their little gifts, and they come, and they're very cute. And they go, I bought this for Jesus. <laughs> and it's like you know that moment when you look in the present drawer, um, this is what happens when you become middle-aged. You get a present drawer, and then it saves you in hundreds of situations. We go, let's have a look at some unwanted presents we've had in the past. Oh, yes, here's something. This will do. Let's take this. right? And we can have this idea that they sort of bring, well, what have we got? No, I think, as Matthew writes it, when it says they opened their treasures, I think the picture is more that they have come with a massive treasure um, with them, right? They're, they're wealthy guys, and they've bought with them a caravan of treasure with them. And when they see the baby, it's like they open up their treasures. And I think that language is like, to this baby, they say, all of this we open before you. We hold nothing back from you. You're worthy. You're worthy. We will open our treasures and as they go to their treasures and they say, well, what could we give this baby who's so worthy? And they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. But you get this sense that it's flowing out of the openness of the treasure. And as they give those gifts, they don't know what they're doing. But as they give their gifts, they are prophetic gifts. They're gifts that speak of things that these wise men could never have known. They're gifts that speak of this baby who's a king, who's a priest who will die on a cross. They're, they're gifts that speak of what this baby will become, but they don't know that. They've just opened their treasures. And this Christmas, to worship, to come and worship Jesus, means to open your treasures to him. Open your treasure. To say to Jesus, all that I have is yours. What, what can I bring you? That's what it means to come and worship. And that's what it, overflowing joy and worship flows out in this. 
They're not giving the baby something in order to get something back from him. They're giving the baby something because they see his worth and his value and they want to worship him. And of course, all of this, you might say, well, why on earth are they doing this for a baby? What a weird thing to do to a baby. And of course, the reason is because they believe that he has been born king of the Jews. And they know, however they know it, we're not sure, but they must have got some idea that this baby, this king of the Jews, is the one through whom God is going to do something remarkable in the whole world. And this one that they worship as king of the Jews, you get this phrase again later on in Matthew, the king of the Jews. You know where it comes up again? It comes up again right at the end of the gospel of Matthew. The wise men came and worshipped the king of the Jews towards the end of Jesus' life. This is what we're told. We're told about some soldiers who took Jesus, stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. So the wise men bowed down in worship of the king of the Jews. The soldiers bowed down in mockery of the king of the Jews. Because this is the king of the Jews who has come to die on a cross and through his death to bring light to the world, to bring forgiveness of sin, to bring hope and healing to the world. And this is the king of the Jews who three days later rose again. And when they saw him after he was raised, they worshipped him. That's where Matthew's gospel ends, in worship. As Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. So this Christmas, here is the one thing we can do. Here is the one thing we must do. Come and Worship. Well, what will that look like? I want to encourage you to, before Christmas Day, think about how you're going to use Christmas Day this year. Think about how you're going to spend time devoted to worship of Jesus. I've talked about perhaps thinking of physically bowing down to Jesus at some point on that day. What about opening your treasures? What about on Christmas Day deciding to send someone a gift because you know that they're in need or you think, I'd love to do something to show my love for Jesus? Something practical. As a worship to Jesus that you you give a gift to someone. What about setting aside some time to to read? Or, or, Or you could take one of the carols and meditate on the words of a carol. You know, we sing these great carols. And they've got amazing words in them, but we never stop and think. Why not on Christmas Day take a carol and just work your way through it? If you're not sure how to do that, then go to the Globe Church blog right now, because Ryan has just written a blog about one line in a, in a carol, showing how much is packed into one line. Go read that. And then look for some other stuff in carols. Find some ways to to engage on Christmas Day. 
But whatever we do, let's be those who come and worship. Using what we know, dropping everything, coming joyfully, bowing down, and opening our treasures to Jesus. Why don't we pray? And then we're going to respond together in song. Heavenly Father, we're so sorry when we don't come to worship. We're sorry when we want a convenient, easy life, when we want everything to go our way, when we don't want to bow down to anyone or anything. Lord, we're so sorry. And we pray this Christmas you might teach us to come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. Lord, teach us, we pray. And would this Christmas be a a new and deep and fresh experience of worship for every single one of us sitting in this room. For those of us who don't know Jesus at all, Lord, please, this Christmas, might we worship Jesus for the first time. Might we see this baby is King of the Jews. He's King of the world. He's the light to the nations. He's the only hope there is. And Lord, for those of us who know him well, we pray this Christmas that we wouldn't be like those religious leaders in Jerusalem who knew the stuff but had no desire to worship. We pray that you would stir up within us a deep desire to worship Jesus, to bow before him and open our treasure before him. Lord, teach us this Christmas to come and worship. Amen.